to preach what I'm going to preach this morning. So I, I, hopefully you won't miss your lunch or anything like that. But uh, for the, be turning to Second Thessalonians, would you? For the last five months, I've been headed in one direction, and this morning you might think that uh, that I've changed directions, but I really haven't because this message today relates in a very serious way to everything that we've been talking about. And uh, I hope you can see the connection. We've been speaking about God's purpose and God's plan and our part in that, which is what? It's for us to be disciples who make disciples. That's what we ought to be. That's what we ought to do. And the problem is, in the doing of that, we face a lot of adversity, a lot of difficulties, a lot of things that uh, could and would stop us unless we live our life abiding in Christ. Remember, he said, without me, you can do nothing. So this morning, I want you to follow along in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I wish I could read more this morning, but we'll begin there. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as, as that the day of the Lord is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's speaking about the Antichrist. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now listen carefully. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And when that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. I want to begin by making a statement that I know everybody here will agree with, and that's this, that life is tough. And it's especially tough for those who are doing their best to serve God. You know, if you just, uh, uh, if you just take a I don't care position and what have you, the devil's not going to bother you. That's right where he wants you to be. 
You don't have to be out here in a bar room somewhere shooting up dope uh, for, for Satan to have control of you. You can be sitting in a church pew every week and still out of the will of God and under Satan's control because he doesn't care whether you go to, go to hell from a bar stool or a church pew. It doesn't make him any difference. In fact, he can get you in hell a whole lot quicker sometimes from a church pew than the bar stool because the fellow on the bar stool... He generally knows that he needs something. He knows he needs something. It's the self-righteous person who thinks they're all right that has the problem. And most of us today, especially those my age, are living in a state of shock at the changes that have taken place. All of the different polls and the statistics, the surveys all show that the decline of Christianity, the decline of churches and of Christians and uh, churches closing one after another, preachers getting out of the ministry and it's heartbreaking, but it shouldn't shock us. It, it ought to disappoint us, but it shouldn't discourage us because we know from the Word of God that that is all a part of what is going to happen. And yet, in spite of that great difficulty, we're never dismissed from our duty, from our responsibility, regardless of how difficult or dangerous it might be. And the question is, is how that we can encourage people to do as they should. And especially for pastors, that, that's true. But it ought to be true of every Christian that we have in mind that we have a responsibility to encourage others to do as they should. And so I want you to think this morning about the difficulties of the days that we're living in. And that's exactly what Paul was addressing there uh, in those verses. He's talking about the coming of the Lord, but he says the Lord's not going to be coming until first these things happen. And so by looking at these verses and other things that Paul wrote, we, we learn as we're working, trying to do the will of God, we find out what kind of people we have to deal with in this world. We realize why it is so difficult to, to be successful in what we do in this world. But as Christians, we have to meet people where they are, not as where we wish they were. As you're witnessing to your next-door neighbor or your classmate or a co-worker, you have to understand to some extent where they are. You can't speak to them about the things of the Lord on the same level that you could if they had been well-versed in the Bible, for example. When I was growing up, you could assume that every home had a Bible. We had a Bible. It was a, one of these big old family Bibles. I don't know where it came from. We never did read it. It just settled, sat around there. I, I had no idea, you know, that... Uh, we're supposed to read it. I thought it was just some decoration in the house when I was growing up. But, uh, you know, it meant a lot to mom. So, you know, it, it was setting out all of the time. And you could assume everybody had a Bible. And when I started preaching, you could assume, basically, when you was going door-to-door -door visitation, for example, and especially whenever you were speaking to Christian people, you could assume that they understood to some extent the basic tendency of Christianity. You know, they, they, they realized that. You, you, you didn't have to address them like they were some atheist that had never heard anything about Christ because they already knew something, you see. And we need to understand what we're up against by way of the spiritual warfare that we're in today because 
No general in his right mind would send his army out to fight without, to some extent, instructing them about the kind of enemy that they're facing. If the troops don't know what they're facing, what they're up against, uh, they're going to be in big trouble whenever the bullets start flying, you see. And so even as a pastor, every pastor has a responsibility to do what they can to prepare people for what they're going to be facing. And that's what I want to do this morning. Now I want you to look at verse number 7 here because this is the key to the message. This is the title of the message today. And it's a phrase that, that probably a lot of you have never even really thought about. In verse 7 where Paul uses this term, the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. Before I get involved in that, I, I, I want to say something that is special to me because I had a privilege that most people, especially people my age, have never had. And that is within a short time after I was saved, my pastor invited a fellow to come and to hold a week's meeting. And uh, so he preached every night the revival meeting, but before that, like an hour beforehand, he had a special service where he, he taught what later became a book, The Mystery of the Ages. His name was Paul Lambert. He's dead and gone, been in heaven for a long time now. We went back to him, one of the back rooms, those that were interested in this. He had him to lock the door. He didn't want to be disturbed. And they locked the door. If you didn't get there on time, you didn't get in. But he spoke about the various mysteries that are mentioned in the Bible. And there are many different mysteries, the mysteries of godliness. And here we find the mystery here of iniquities, a lot of different ones. And listening to him, I learned some things that I never knew and some things that I've never forgot and things that has meant so much to me over the years because it's something you absolutely don't hear anything about today whatsoever. And yet there, there we find this phrase, the mystery of iniquity and how important that is to the world that we're living in today. Now, I need to explain, when you look at that word mystery there, it's not the way that we think of a mystery today. You know, we're, we're not talking about a mystery that we've got to try to solve or anything like that. In the scripture, this particular word mystery here has reference to something that is not known to man until God reveals it. So it's not a puzzle that you're trying to figure out. It's something you don't know, something you can't know until God reveals it. There are no mysteries with God. He's already got it all figured out. He's not confused about anything. There are no mysteries. But there's a lot of things in this world that you and I do not understand. We could never understand were it not for the fact that God reveals them the mystery of Christ. Uh, uh, that, that was a mystery to a lot of people. The mystery concerning the Gentiles, those Old Testament Jews. They, they didn't know what in the world was going on when all of a sudden uh, they're ministering to the Gentiles. They didn't think that was right, but that, that was a mystery to them. But God revealed that in Christ, doesn't make any difference whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, male or female, in Christ, we all need Christ and the salvation that he provides. Now, 
the reasons why God has hidden some of these mysteries for so long to man is known only to God. So don't ask me because I'm not smart enough to figure out, well, Lord, why didn't you tell them way back then? Because God knows best. Amen? God knows it'll be better off if they don't know what, what it is that's troubling them at the moment. And so God just hides that. And we worry too much about things that we don't understand. I've often told people, you know, instead of worrying about the things in the Bible that you don't understand, focus on what you do understand. That's, that's where you're going to get your blessing. It is all a part of God's perfect plan for working out His purpose. And that ought to be a lesson to us because so many times whenever we come up against something we don't understand and we get frustrated and we get bitter, we just don't feel like God is being fair. And the fact is there's some mysteries that we have to live with all of our life because God has not yet revealed what it's all about. So our focus needs to be on what God has chosen to reveal. And... Uh, and we need, to, we need to stay focused on that because of the challenges that we face today. We need to be like the followers of David. They were men who had an understanding of the times. They knew what was going on. They had an understanding of the times. That's the kind of men that David needed in his army. You don't want a bunch of nitwits that just fell off a turnip truck out there somewhere, didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what they were up against. That's part of the problem today. We've got all of these problems where we learned, well, you can't trust Russia for sure, right? And now we've learned, we should have learned a long time ago, you can't trust your government and what they say either. I feel like saying somebody get up and slap me so I'll get off of this because I, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to get involved in all of this current event stuff that's going on especially with our government and how elections have been swayed and as a result of people that knew the truth and lied about it to get what they want because they didn't care about anything except the power to get what they wanted we've got to have some understanding of the times that we live in if we're going to be effective as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and this is not, not just a knee-jerk reaction on my part because of what's going on over in Ukraine. This is something that, that I, I've been thinking about for nearly two years now. This phrase over and over and over, it's like it just keeps hitting me in the face, the, uh, the mystery of iniquity. I've told Brother Kenneth and some others, you know, I wanted to preach that so bad, and the Lord just said, like he said, no, I... I, I know what I'm doing. This is what I want you to preach. In five months, I've been doing that. And finally, he gave me the green light. Now's the time. It's okay. I want you to talk about this spirit, this mystery of iniquity. And spiritually speaking, we've got to understand what we're up against. And I'm certain that a lot of people don't. A lot of people wonder, well, what in the world is wrong with the world? I mean, something's, something's really wrong. It just doesn't even make sense, right? You, you've often, why do people do what they do? It makes no sense whatsoever. Even if we didn't have the Bible, for example, if we didn't have any commandments, if we didn't have any laws, 
if we were not under any obligation, following God would still be the best way for anybody to live. And yet we look around at people living their lives contrary to all of that in ways that bring pain upon them and inflict pain upon others. And they keep doing it over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but when I was just a boy, I remember what Mama said about don't touch the stove when it's hot. How many times have you got to get burned before you go in there and put your hand on the stove again? You, you, you ought to learn. But we're living in a time where people don't learn. The stove is hot. Sin is bad. Hell is real. They just don't get the message, you see. So here we find something that is unknown. It's a mystery. Was not known until God chose to reveal it. Now, maybe it will help if we consider what had happened before because it all, I think, ties in together. I'm talking about times whenever it appeared to people that everything was doomed. Something's really bad wrong and there's no hope. Think about the days of Noah, for example. Can you imagine? You really can't. But try to imagine Noah and his family, nobody else got on board. Here's Noah and his family. God spared them. God saved them. God delivered them. Now the flood has come. The water's receding. What do you do? I mean, let's admit it. It just seems like everything is doomed right then, right? I mean, sure you'd think it's some old backslider up way up on a mountain hanging on a limb that was spared, but no, it's just Noah and his family. They're all that's left. Boy, if ever the future looked bleak, it looked bleak then. And, and although, although it appeared that there's no hope, yet out of that horrible disaster, God brought forth a whole new generation because God has a plan. You've got to remember that. Keep in mind, God has a plan. Noah didn't get the picture at the moment. He understood what to do. God said, build an ark. He built the ark. God delivered him from the flood. But the now what? Noah's not the only one to be in a position like that. Think about, think about Elijah, this great prophet, the ten northern tribes have gone into apostasy and they so God raises up the prophet Elijah to preach the word in hopes of trying to challenge them bring them back he challenged the 450 false prophets of Baal you remember the story right he prayed fire down from heaven consumed the sacrifice then he executed the false prophets of Baal and that infuriated this wicked queen by the name of Jezebel I, have you ever met anybody named Jezebel? There's a good reason why you don't name your kids Jezebel. She was about as wicked as it gets, and she was infuriated that her, her pastoral staff, you might say, has been destroyed, all of her false prophets. And she sends the army out to get Elijah. I mean, she's going to take him out of the game. And here is a man who has faced 
all of these false prophets executed them. And now he's on the run, hiding under a juniper tree. And he made a statement. He said to the Lord, basically, I am here alone. There's no one else but me. He had it in his mind that he was the only true prophet of God on the earth. That he was the only one left. All of the rest of them are gone. And in his state of depression, he's hiding under a juniper tree. His life now seems worthless. I don't have anything to live for. That was his attitude. Because he thought there was nobody else. And thank God the Lord came along and not only recognized the problem, but explained the situation to him that, hey, buddy, you're not in this alone. Who do you think you are? Do you think the, my whole plan for this world depends on you? Well, there's 7,000 out there that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. What are you talking about? But you see what I'm saying? Whenever we get in these situations that it just seems like that all hope is gone, that's when we need to remember what we're up against. Think about the disputes with, with Jesus, for example, in, in, in his year of popularity. Remember, he was not hated and despised from the very beginning in his year of popularity, at least not by everybody, because of his miracles, because of his messages, because of his manners, mannerisms, all of these things so impressed people. They were following him everywhere. There were great crowds that followed him for a long time. But finally, those hosannas in the highest change to crucify him crucify him we'll not have this man rule over us same people that at one time supposedly were going to follow him and now they're crying crucify him boy did it did it ever look hopeless when he was hanging there on that cross and they took his body down and put it in a tomb put yourself in the place of of those few followers, those apostles. They've forsaken everything to follow him, and now he's dead and gone. What do they do? But on the third day, on the third day, God showed them that he had a plan. And this is what you've been up against. You followed a man who turned out to be someone hated and despised and crucified and buried in the grave, but I'm not through with my plan yet. So those are some of the things that have happened, but think about what's happening. The degradation today, how bad it is in the day and the age, because the more you look at the world situation, the more hopeless it seems. By the way, let me say, it's worse than the average person thinks. Some way or another, we get it in our mind. Give us enough time, and you know, we're going to get this all figured out, and we'll create some kind of utopia here on earth. But I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. We need to understand that. And we're not going to change it, the direction that it's going, by the way. 
But we need to have confidence that God is in control. Rather than feeling hopeless and just giving up, we need to understand that God has a plan that he is working out. I mean, we're seeing things that we never thought that we would see. And that's why I keep repeating that statement. Those my age are living in a state of shock. Things that, that are unbelievable, and, but yet it's undeniable. The, the young people look at this and remember, this is all they've ever seen. And so it, it seems to me it is what it is. They don't know anything else. They don't know what it was like, you know, growing up back whenever we grew up. They look at us like we're some kind of a religious nut. We're an extremist. We're a fanatic of some kind. They, they don't understand us. And I can understand that. I understand that. When I was a boy, I didn't understand why Mama made such a big deal out of wasting stuff she didn't waste anything we ate leftovers so there wasn't any leftovers and then gave the dog whatever bones was left I and mean, we didn't waste anything we cooked a squirrel we ate him brains and all dad taught me a principle when we started hunting he said you kill it you eat it i've ate woodpeckers i've ate metal arcs i've ate just about everything that was the philosophy. We didn't waste anything. It took me a while to understand that they had gone through the Great Depression. They knew what it was like to not have anything. So I understand whenever these young people think that us older folks, just a bunch of old fogies, we don't know what we're talking about. Your teacher at school is a whole lot smarter than we are, you know. Especially you get off to college, that professor, boy, he's really got it all together. He's, he's really smart. Now, chances are he may be real smart, but he's as wicked as a witch. Intentionally polluting the minds of young people. The situation at Yale come up this last week. I don't want to get sidetracked too long. But they made a statement as they were describing how that young people today basically don't know how to discuss issues and have an argument without going ballistic. They think they've got to burn something down or riot uh, or, or do something. They, di they don't understand how you have an argument with people of different opinions. And somebody on the news made the statement, this, these are our future lawyers and leaders of our country. And if you don't believe that statement, you look in Washington now and see where they came from. Yale and schools like them, who had professors who intentionally polluted the minds of a generation of young people. And if you want to know why our nation is divided up basically 50-50 between the liberals and the progressive, that's real easy to figure out. Where did you get your information? This is what we're up against in the world that we're living in today. And the only thing that really matters, folks, is the truth. That's why I've said, and you young people listen good to me, don't you ever believe something just because Brother Stone said, said it's true. He, Brother Stone said this is 
right. Don't ever believe that just because I say it. You believe it because it's in the Bible. And look, and if I can't take the Bible and prove it, and if you're here today and you think I'm wrong about I'm still preaching exactly the same truths that I was preaching 55, 56 years ago now. I'm preaching the same thing. My, my mind hadn't changed on those doctrines because the Bible hasn't changed. And if you think I'm wrong about it, after church or sometime, I, I want you to bring your Bible and show me where I'm wrong, and I will change. I'll get up and publicly apologize for having misled you. But I'm telling you what, if you can't do that, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to God to repent of your sins and turn away from your wicked ways because the truth is all that really matters. And we are up against a generation of people today who don't think that way. They have it in their mind that you have your truth and I have my truth. We all have our individual truth. That's, a, that's as non, nonsensical as anything could ever be. Well, you know, for you, 2 plus 2 equals 4, but for me, it, it equals 5 or 3. And, and, and my truth's just as good as your truth, really. It, it's unbelievable the generation that we're living in today and how they think. Consider what our text says again. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, that is, will allow this to go on, until he be taken out of the way. Now, there are three important words here. That's the word mystery. We've talked about that. There's the word iniquity. That means lawlessness, ungodliness, evil, lawlessness. No concern about the truth. No concern about what God's word says. And notice the third word here, working. It's already it's already working. That means it's operative. It's not something that's going to happen later on. It's something that is happening right now. It's putting forth power. It's having effect. It's displaying itself. I, I, I wish I could understand all that is implied by this. And I could take the dictionary and I could give you the strict definition out of the dictionary but that doesn't even begin to tell the whole story and everything that's involved. That's, that's just the strict definition. But there's so much more involved than that. Because we're talking about something that involves an unseen enemy. We're talking about spiritual powers. Things you can't see, you can't reach out and touch. If you don't believe that, read Ephesians chapter number 6. We're in this warfare against Satan. And it's, it, look, it's been that way. And that's the reason that our society today is in the condition that it's in. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also. That's Paul's way of saying, make sure you get this, know this. That in the last days, and by the way, we've been in the last days if you look at all of the, and study all the Bible says about this, we've been living in the last days since Christ. And in the last days, perilous. That means dangerous and difficult. Perilous times shall come. Tell us more, Paul. What, what do you mean by that? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now get this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That's exactly what we're seeing today. And you know that it's true. And to think about trying to reach someone, here you are trying to witness to your next door neighbor, or let's say it's a relative, someone you love dearly, and you're trying to, you're trying to reveal to them the greatness of your affection for them by, by giving them the gospel, because you don't want them to die and go to hell. And you're pleading with them, please listen to what I'm saying. I think about my children and my grandchildren. It's horrible to, to think about any of them or some of them or one of them not knowing Christ is their Savior. To think about them spending an eternity in a devil's hell. But how do you deal with somebody who has no natural affection? How do you deal with a parent that has no affection for their children at all? No love. Let me tell you, there are people like that. They don't care anything about their kids. No natural affection. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Man, that, boy, that takes in a whole truckload. Those are the kind of people we're dealing with. Those kind of people you're trying to reach for Christ. You're a disciple trying to make disciples and you're dealing with these kind of people and they just don't care. And there is a power at work in their life, a spiritual power. Satan at work in their life doing everything within his power to convince them that they don't need what you offer with the gospel. So we think about how bad it is, and then we think about how bad it's going to get. Because these things I've just mentioned that Paul mentioned, those things have been around for centuries, those sins, but not to the extent that they are today. Because today it's like these things have skyrocketed. I mean, the intensity of these sins have grown more and more and more over the years. Now let me remind you uh, what this iniquity, mystery of iniquity is. I come across a, a statement made by a preacher by the name of Humphrey, dead and gone a hundred years or more, and I don't really know anything about him, but I read this statement and I thought, you know, that's maybe the best general, concise explanation that I'd read. I want to read it to you this morning. He said... The mystery of iniquity is the power unseen, unknown, except by its effects, which is ever working in the world for evil, working against the law and will of God, corrupting what has been well done and well begun by man, causing misery in the natural world and all that man has to do with through the mischief, 
which it works in the moral and spiritual world in the heart and soul of men. All week long, I thought about how, how, can I, how can I explain to folks this mystery? And, and, and I don't even know, really. I don't know how to give you. And when I started preaching this morning, I thought there's going to be some folks go away with more questions than answers. And that's a good thing, by the way, because it tells me you've been listening to what I'm saying. You go away from here thinking you got it all figured out. You need to come listen again. Are you with me? So what is this mystery that, that is empowered by some unseen force? What's going on? Well, how can it be that throughout the centuries, without any rebuke from God's preachers without any knowledge of the word of God why do people over and over and over again keep doing those things that are not uh, beneficial to them in fact it's very harmful it hurts them it makes society worse it makes the world worse why did they just keep doing that they keep doing it this is the mystery about it because they can't even figure it out themselves. They don't know why they're doing what they do except they want to do it. What's compelling them to do it? It's this same unseen force. This spiritual force, the devil, if you please, working in their lives. They, they have no idea. They don't even realize you know, I know Flip Wilson said, oh, the devil made me do it, and that was a big joke to him. But let me tell you, it ain't no joke, because if you're, listen to me, if you're here today and you're unsaved, the Bible says, quote, you are taken captive by the devil at his will. Amen. Somebody says, well, I'm going to run away from home because I want my freedom. Where do you think you're going to end up? You're, I tell you where you're going to end up. You're going to end up losing your freedom. Well, I, you know, at least I'm free. Are, are you on dope? Are you shooting up? Well, yeah, but why don't you quit? I can't. Yeah, tell me about this freedom that you've been hungering for all this time. You're not so free after all, are you? You're not free. You see, that's a mystery. There are people up in Washington that... A few maybe that really wants the world to be a better place than what it is. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what can we do? You know what they do? They get elected and they get up there. And before they know it, they become just like the other rotten bunch that's been up there all these years. There's some mystical, unseen force that is working in man. And look, it's not... It's not a mystery now because God has revealed what it is. He told us in the verses that, that we've read this morning. He tells us what it is. And he talks about that man of sin. That is the Antichrist that's going to come on the scene. And he's going to convince everybody, I've got the answer. He's a political, listen, he, he, he heads up both church and state, by the way. We often talk about this one world church that's going to come. It, it's coming. 
one world government, it's coming. I mean, there are people working feverishly right now trying to create a one world government because they think that's the solution. It's not. And if you think it's bad now, you just wait till the tribulation comes, that seven-year horrible period upon the earth. God has a plan. Why do bad things happen to good people? Let me give you the short answer. Because there are no good people. Amen. Well, you say, preacher, you know what I mean. Why, do, why does God let bad things happen? How can he be a good God and let all these bad things happen? Because God has a plan. God gave each and every one of us. Remember, he created us in his image, right? He gave to man a free will. Remember, the devil wasn't the devil to start out with. Oh, he was this bright and shining star boy. He was, he, he was top dog. He was really something. But then one day, because of his beauty, he decided he ought to be God instead of God. So he rebelled, and he became what, well, what he is. He didn't have to do that. He, God made him, him with a will. We talk about those fallen angels. They fell as a result of that. God gave each and every one of us a will that enables us to choose whether we will receive Christ or whether we will reject Christ. Without the freedom to choose, we'd be like robots. You couldn't love and you couldn't hate if you didn't have a will. It'd be impossible. And you see, God's plan is for, for you to glorify him by loving him. And you couldn't love God unless you had a will. Now, that's the good part. The bad part is you have a will. Yeah. You can make a choice. You can receive Christ or you can reject Christ. The problem is your will isn't strong enough to resist this evil that is coming against you. Well, why didn't God stop it? Why don't you repent? Now, I mean, that would be the solution right there, right? Yeah. If we all turn back to God. God doesn't owe us an explanation, by the way. But why would a loving God allow this horrible tribulation period? And believe me, if you've never studied the Bible, you can't imagine how horrible it is. Mothers, you won't be able to buy or sell without the mark, and mothers will resort to cannibalism. They'll eat their own children rather than starve to death. Now, you Christians here today, if you found yourself in a situation like that, you would, you would starve to death yourself before you ate the flesh of your own children, right? But remember, we're talking about a people that have no natural affection. And rather than to deprive themselves and starve to death, that's how bad it's going to be. Jesus said, 
It's the worst time in all history. There's never been another time like this. It's the worst time in all of history. I can't even begin to explain to you how bad that is. But why would a good God let something like that happen? Why? Couldn't he sort it all out without doing it? No. Why? Because we each have a will. Now remember, God wants every person to be saved. That's the desire of his heart. He's not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's never happy about anybody, the most evil, wicked person on earth. God's not happy about them getting what they deserve and dying and going to hell. God would much rather save them. But they have a will. But it is a will that is being controlled by the spiritual powers in this world that will manifest itself in this antichrist, this world leader that supposedly has all of the answers. But God has a plan. And that plan is what? In this case, it's a hands-off approach. He said that's going to happen until he that willeth, that allows it. No, he's talking about there the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The restrainer, the one that, that is keeping this all from right now bursting out into the great tribulation. The Holy Spirit is keeping that from happening. Why? Because the Lord's church has a mission. We are the salt and the light of this world and we have a mission. And God wants as many people to be saved. But as the Bible says... In these days, the love of many is going to wax cold. There's going to come a time that God is going to see that it's going to be more profitable to let all of this suffering come upon earth than to keep on letting a failing church keep failing. Not getting the job done. You said, but how could anything like that be profitable? I'm glad you asked. Because I've got the answer. You read in Revelation chapter 7. In this horrible time, God is going to raise up 144,000 Jews. These are Jews that have come to realize that Christ is indeed the Messiah. He's the Savior. They're going to be born again at some point in this tribulation, I think it'll be the fact that because of their knowledge of the Old Testament, read Jeremiah and read Daniel, this isn't the only place we read about the tribulation and the judgment to come. And all of a sudden, those Jews are going to be looking at the current events, what's going on in the world, and think, oh, my Lord, He is Lord. He's the one we've been looking for in 144,000 are going to be saved. But it doesn't end there. You read on and you look over later on in that chapter there and it shows the results. And here, as a result of the tribulation period, there are going to be more people saved during that time than any time in all of history. Remember, there's going to ultimately be that great number that no man can number up there. Where did they come from? 
that harvest of souls. And God knew that, that this is what it would take to awaken people. God could let us exist for another 100,000 years just like we are. And what would happen? It'd just keep getting worse and worse until nobody was being saved. But God has a plan. And God is the only one who knows the perfect timing of all of this. He didn't, he didn't let us know. And remember the disciples said to the Lord after the resurrection, said, Lord, were you going to restore your kingdom now? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. That's the Father's business, you know. He's got it all under control. He has a plan. And the tribulation, the worst time in all of history, is going to prove to be the greatest time in all of history. So when is it going to end? Remember, this tribulation begins when God's people are raptured out of this world. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, preacher, I've heard you and Brother Kenneth preach, and I, I, I don't believe that stuff about the Lord's coming, but I've heard you preach, and now if he, if he, if he does come and I'm left behind, uh, I'll trust the Lord as my Savior then. No, you won't. If you've heard the gospel, you'll believe the lie of the Antichrist because he's going to have some explanation where all these people went. Man, our attendance this week's really down. We had 200 last week. Well, 